This is episode four of the Magic Detective Podcast. On this episode, I'll be talking about the life and trials of Survey Leroy, the great Belgian magician. That and more on episode four of the Magic Detective Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Magic Detective Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Carnegie, and this is episode four. Now, today we're going to take a slightly different approach to the podcast, but before we get into it, I have to address something from episode three. It was brought to my attention that uh, when I was talking about the uh, six degrees of separation magic style, and I mentioned the connection that I had to the famous lawman Wyatt Earp, the connection went like this. It went from me to my escape mentor, Steve Baker, from Steve Baker to Roy Earp, from Roy Earp to Wyatt Earp, and someone brought up the fact that who was Roy Earp, what was the connection there, how did that all go play out. So I was like, oh gosh, I can't believe I didn't do that. All right. So um, of course, uh, you know me, uh, my escape mentor and good friend was Steve Baker, Mr. Escape, one of the greatest escape artists of the later part of the 20th century. In 1967, he was recreating an escape that Houdini had done in Oakland, California from the Tribune Tower building. At that escape, when he was going to do the upside-down straitjacket escape, he had Dawn Wells from Gilligan's Island, Marianne, was there. She was sort of the celebrity spokesperson. And then there was a couple sheriffs and Roy Earp. Now, Roy Earp helped to put Steve into the straitjacket. And it just so happens that Roy Earp is a nephew. I think last time I said he was the son of Wyatt Earp. He's actually a nephew of the famous lawman Wyatt Earp. So that's the connection that I have. Uh, you go from me to Steve Baker to Roy Earp to the famous lawman Wyatt Earp, and there's your less than six degrees of separation. But I thought I'd clear that up really quick. That's how that all played out. Um, so uh, today we're going to be talking about one individual, but in a couple different ways, the famous Belgian magician Survey Leroy. Now, you may remember the name from the, uh, the, the Monarchs of Magic. Leroy Talma and Bosco. They have very famous posters. Most of their posters, or the the better known posters, are they have a um, kind of a orange yellow gradient background. They're very pronounced. They stand out very much. Very smart move on Survey Leroy's part to do that back in in that time period, just because they do stand out so so well. So Survey Leroy was uh, probably. One of the uh, greatest inventors of illusion that the world of magic has ever had. He's not the only one, but he was one of the early ones and a really great one. And I, I just recently, I was staring at a poster that a friend of mine had put up in his theater. And it's a poster of, um, it's like a scene from a, a, a music hall or theater. So you see the audience. You see the magician with his grand posture gesturing out towards the audience and a ghost-like figure flying out over the heads of the audience. It's a beautiful poster. At the bottom, it says, Rostrum, the last word in magic. And I've seen this poster, you know, I don't know, 100 times, I don't know, whatever. Uh, and I'm staring at this poster just recently, and it occurred to me, uh, I don't know what this rostrum thing is. Is it an illusion? Is it referring to something else? I, I don't really know. So 
that's uh, that's our first topic today is the roster losing. I, I decided to go ahead and uh, check it out. So the one of the first things I did was I got out the Survey Leroy Monarch of Magic book by Mike Caveney and William Rauscher. And just a cursory look showed no sign of the Rostrum illusion, even though the poster itself was featured in the full color selection of posters within the book, but no mention anywhere within the book about this Rostrum thing. I looked it up online to see if anyone had a clue as to what Rostrum was. Some people speculated it was the Azra illusion. Others were unsure exactly what the illusion might be. The Azra illusion was a levitation that began with a, mo- a woman lying down on a table. She'd be covered with a cloth and then float in the air underneath the cloth. And the magician would walk over, he'd pass a hoop over the floating lady, and then he'd cause her to raise even higher above the stage. And at the, the, the ultimate moment of the illusion, he'd reach up and grab the cloth and pull it away, and the woman would vanish in midair. Beautiful, beautiful mystery. And just... Curiously, I found a French website, it was all written in French, I had to translate it through Google, that actually said it used the word rostrum to describe the Azra. But again, why? Because I, I can't see where where the two are connected. I mean, you can look at that poster and maybe say it's an artistic representation of the Azra, but it looks more like a ghost flying over the heads of the audience than anything to me. So the magic detective, me, decided to dig a little deeper. Now, in regards to Azra, um, I was surprised to see that it began with a different name. Originally, it was called the Mystery of Lhasa. It appeared to be invented around 1902, though there are conflicting reports on that. Leroy, at one point, indicated that it may have been uh, created in the 1890s. And there's a, a famous poster, one of the ones I told you with the yellow and orange background of, of uh, Survey Leroy floating Talma, his wife, in the air, um, and uh, that does not depict the Azra. That's a different levitation. It's it's interesting because that poster that I just mentioned came out in 1905, uh, but again, it can't be the Azra because apparently Leroy was not as confident in his Azra illusion and scrapped it for a number of years before trying it again. Now, the Rostrum poster dates to 1920. And it was in 1920 that Leroy was doing a show called The Unseen World. Now, again, from the book Survey Leroy, Monarch of Magic by Mike Caveney and William Rauscher, I found this statement. First, the audience was apprised that it was impossible to guarantee a real ghost at every performance, but they would do their very best. Then, claiming no spiritual abilities, they proceeded with a full-blown seance. Now, the they in this instance was Survey Leroy and Julius Zanzig, the famous mentalist. Now, there's a review of this show, The Unseen World, in The Sphinx, um, The Sphinx Magazine, February 1921 edition, where they mention an illusion called The Transmission of Souls. Now, I'm looking at this Rostrum poster and I'm like, hey, that could be The Transmission of Souls. I think I got this mystery figured out. So... Try to find out what the transmission of souls was. And um, there's there's no details in the Survey Leroy book on it. I went on Ask Alexander. There's couldn't find anything there other than the fact that another illusionist, George LaFollette, was also presenting the transmission of souls. Uh, I was not, not about to give up, though. 
So uh, finally, I was able to find a description of the routine in the May 1904 edition of Stanion's Magic. So this is the, uh, the description of the illusion called the transmission of souls. It's a curtain cabinet on a turntable in the center of the stage. Front curtains are drawn to shown empty. Leroy holds up a black sheet in front of a cabinet and produces a black figure, a black draped figure, A, who uh, is stood at the front of the stage. Another sheet and another figure, B, produced. Talma then enters the cabinet with a black sheet and produces another draped figure, C. Leroy then runs through the cabinet from uh, back to uh, front and, and out again. Holds up a sheet in front of the cabinet and produces a fourth draped figure, D. Leroy and Talma then enter the cabinet, which is turned to show all sides. And then the cabinet is shown empty. The sheets are cast off the draped figures, showing that Leroy and Talma that were just in that cabinet a moment ago are now one, uh, two of the draped figures and they're standing between two assistants. So that's the transmission of souls illusion. Uh, as it was featured in this article. Uh, oh, actually, it was in the article they referred to it as the transmorgrification of souls, but it's, it's you know, it's the transmission of souls illusion. And it's an adaptation of another Leroy illusion called the Three Graces. Now, for those interested, there is a version of the routine included in the Tarbell course in Volume 8 under the title The Mystery of the Three Ghosts. And for the modern performer, uh, hearing all this, you may recognize it by a more popular name that we use today, Things That Go Bump in the Night, though it uses a very different methodology today. And also a different method from what Leroy used in his original Three Graces routine. So the transmission of souls, not the rostrum more than likely. Now, I did come across an intriguing uh, image in my search to uncover the answer to the mystery, and it involves another illusion. This one's called A Strange Disappearance. Uh, this clearly has similarities to the Azra. Uh, a person lies down on a, a very low table. They're covered with a cloth, and the magician you know, wraps them up and picks them up uh, wrapped in the cloth from the table, and then tosses the uh, cloth out, kind of whisks it away, and the person vanishes into thin air. Uh, many thoughts came to mind here, and this led me on another little tangent. Uh, in the book, Conjurer's Mechanical Secrets by S.H. Sharp, Sharp mentions that this trick was used by Devant and called Beau Bracade. That didn't sound exactly right to me. I, I remembered an article that Jim Steinmeier had written about Beau Bracade in a 2002 edition of Magic Magazine. So I, I went and looked it up online, and I found it. And Mr. Steinmeier discovered that this was a mistake on the part of Sharp. And Devant's illusion was quite different. He pointed out that Leroy's illusion came after the Bobercod. And thankfully, thankfully, Mr. Steinmeier discovered this 16 years before I began my trek, so I didn't have to spend a lot of time trying to decide whether uh, S.H. Sharp was wrong or not. He was clearly wrong. Uh, diving further into the review from the Sphinx, February 1921, there's no mention of the Azra being performed, though they do mention the Hindu rope, the vanishing birdcage, the transmission of souls as all being classically Roy illusions that were presented, and also no mention of a strange disappearance either. 
Weird. Now, going back to the Survey Leroy Monarch of Magic book, on page 208, I find this line. The unseen world opened with Leroy presenting a number of original effects, which included his now familiar family of duck routines. Now, I think that this line and the one above that mentions the ghost may tip off what the rostrum illusion was. It may have been an original piece designed specifically for this show, The Unseen World. And again, though it could have been an adaptation of the Azra, it could have been Leroy's A Strange Disappearance, but I think it's I think it's supposed to be some sort of ghostly effect used during the seance portion of The Unseen World. Now, I was hoping to come up with a letter or something that mentions Rostrum further, but I, I just haven't seen anything yet. I did, however... Uh, I did see something that could potentially reveal everything. Lot number 209 from the summer 2018 auction by Potter and Potter contains something called Survey Leroy and Company Illusion Instruction Archive. And it's possible that the rostrum is mentioned in there. It's also possible it's not. <laughs> Uh, I don't know who purchased it. Uh, it went for a lot of money. I know that. Uh, but, hey, if you happen to be listening and you're the happy winner and you're willing to let me know if Rostrum is listed in there, if it's just another word for Azra, if it's uh, if it's, its own unique illusion, or if, if it's not in there at all, I'd really, uh, I'd really love to know that. That would be uh, greatly appreciated. Now, there's also another... Another thing, uh, rostrum, uh, if you look it up in the dictionary, actually means raised platform or stage. So just imagine the words rostrum, last word in magic, might actually be referring to theatrical stage magic. Who knows? It's just, it's very vague. You don't know. And again, this image that's in this poster, you know, it's... uh, Looks like a ghost floating over the audience. Who knows? I, I have no clue. I do know if you look at the poster, you look at the faces of the people in the audience, they have a frightened look on their face. Not the kind of look you'd have uh, in an Azra where a girl disappeared. You'd have a more surprised look. But the faces of the people in this uh, in this poster are a more uh, frightened look. So I, I tend to, again, I tend to go to this is something other than Azra. Oh, by the way, if I hear back from the uh, Leroy archive owner, uh, we might get a clue to the answer, but again, that's a long shot. We are left with a mystery, but one that I've certainly enjoyed looking into, and I hope you've enjoyed listening to it, and that's not the end of the Leroy saga. There's more. The history of magic is filled with incredible stories of success and failure, triumph and disaster, luck and misfortune. I love history, period, but especially magic history. This next story is tragic. And those who are knowledgeable in our arts uh, and our arts past will know this story or at least be familiar with it. And I heard about it maybe 15 years ago for the first time. And all I really knew was a mighty hero of magic experienced an earth-shattering event that killed the magic that once burned bright within him. It'd be good good to give you some background to begin with. Our, our hero is the previously mentioned Surveilly Roy. His full name was 
Jean Henry Servet Leroy, he was born May 4th, 1865, in Spa, Belgium. Now, to give you an idea of the time frame, in America, the Civil War had just ended, and Abraham Lincoln had just been assassinated only weeks before. This young man would grow up to be Survey Leroy and would be part of the troupe known as the Monarchs of Magic. This troupe of performers was Leroy, his wife Mercedes Talma, and a comic character known as Bosco, who was played by a number of different performers over the years. Leroy had a very devilish appearance on stage. He came out wearing a top hat, a long coat, and a cane. And first, he would cause the cane to vanish, followed by the hat vanishing. Then his trousers would seem to vanish, leaving him in what were called knee breeches. He transformed into a Mephistophelian character uh, right before the eyes of the audience, and it's at that, that point that the show would begin. Surveillor Roy is someone that anyone involved in illusion magic should really closely study. His inventions and twists on, on existing effects were incredible. One of his inventions, we mentioned it earlier, the Azra Levitation, would change the way illusion magic was done from that time even right up until today. Uh, some of his other creations include the costume trunk, the palanquin, the three graces, the red hat, uh, the Strange Disappearance, and many, many more. Many of his illusions are still presented today, though I'd venture to say that most modern illusionists aren't even aware of that Leroy created them. Now, Leroy, Tom, and Bosco were a hit wherever they went, and they went everywhere. They traveled the world and continued to invent and create and change the show as the years went by. Eventually, uh, time and age caught up with Leroy, and he settled in the town of Cannesburg, New Jersey. On October 19th, 1930, while returning from a trip uh, to New York City, Leroy was walking across the street and he was hit by a car. He was rushed to the hospital and multiple injuries remained. He, he remained there for days, uh, nine days actually. And it's safe to say that he was never really the same after this. But uh, though this was a terrible occurrence, this was not the tragic event that I spoke of at the start. Leroy eventually recovered and continued to invent and create and occasionally perform. In 1940, Sam Margulies was putting together the annual SAM show. Now, SAM, for my non-magic people, that's the Society of American Magicians. So Sam Margulies was putting together the annual uh, Society of American Magicians show, and he wanted to really give this show a distinctive stamp. His show, or his idea, uh, was to let Survey Leroy, who was now 75 years old, his idea was to have Survey Leroy present his full evening show. Now, keep in mind, Survey Leroy was a product of the Victorian age, and his style of dress and presentation though ideal for the time, uh, now it's 1940s, uh, and he has to perform for people accustomed to movies and radio and a much faster pace to life. On June 6th, 1940, the show billed as Never Before Such a Magic Show would take place at the Heckscher Theater in New York City. Survey Leroy would perform his full evening uh, show for the first time in years. However, his trusted assistants, who had been with him throughout his life, would not be part of the show. Instead, Leroy trained a new set of assistants. Now, think about that for a second. I just said he trained a new set of assist assistants. Actually, 
he only had one single rehearsal with the new crew. And even then, he seemed unsure what to do many times during the rehearsal. The evening of the show, the curtain was almost an hour late to open because Leroy knew full well he was in no condition to do the show. But somehow, he summoned up the courage and he walked out on stage. The 75-year-old veteran of thousands of shows suddenly found himself in unfamiliar territory. He struggled from the moment he went out on stage. Worse yet, the assistants, who had barely one rehearsal under their belt, could not follow along with what Leroy wanted or expected them to do. It was a train wreck, and the only thing that stopped it was an intermission. Now, as you might imagine, a great deal of the audience got up and left during the very long intermission. I can't even begin to imagine the feelings they must have felt. Here was this icon of magic, one of the real greats who was just unraveling before their eyes. And then, then again, some of them may have been unfamiliar with Leroy and just angry at seeing a terrible magic show. And sadly, Survey Leroy returned to do the second half of the show, and it was worse than the first. Sam Margulies, the producer of the show, eventually stepped in and drew the curtain on Leroy. The show was stopped before Leroy was finished, but it was truly over before it began. That singular night killed the magic that lived inside Survey Leroy's heart. He would never again perform or step onto a stage. A career filled with triumph and success ended in excruciating humiliation. He was now a broken and defeated man. Now, the first time I read this, the full account of this event, I just, I had tears in my eyes and my heart just ached for this guy. And I never met him in person. He lived, you know, lived and died long before I was around. But I, I could just imagine the heartache that he must have felt. And, and really, you know, as much as I could imagine it, it had to pale in comparison to what Leroy was going through. Now, in the book, Survey Leroy, Monarch of Mystery by Mike Caveney and William Rauscher, there is a much more detailed description of that evening. Now, the book is out of print, but it shows up from time to time in auctions and on eBay and if you can find a copy, it's worth it. You've got to read this story. If you're a full-time performer, even a part-time performer or a lover of magic, you've got to check out the full story. It's it, it will just rip your heart out. Now, sadly, today, Leroy is mostly forgotten. Yet performers are still doing his tricks. The recent appearance, uh, actually, I, I say recent appearance, it was several years ago. Allie Cook from England was on Penn and Teller's Fool Us. He performed an effect where he took the head of a chicken and a head of a duck and he caused them to switch places. This was a Survey Leroy trick. In fact, it was even David Copperfield, I think, was maybe the first to bring it back. And he brought it back in the 80s. And um, again, causing the head of a duck and a chicken to trade places. It's a wonderful uh, illusion created by Survey Leroy. Another one, uh, things that go bump in the night is uh, anybody that's doing that effect is really doing Leroy's three graces illusion. Uh, if you're curious, the name things that go bump in the night was actually created by, or Charles Reynolds came up with that for Doug Henning. That's where that, that started. Uh, and the new method, the method that a lot of modern day performers use 
uh, came out of uh, one of the first Doug Henning specials on TV. Um, and of course, any illusionist using uh, an Azra owes a debt to uh, survey Leroy. That night at the Heckscher Theater in New York is a heart-wrenching story. There may be only a handful of people who saw the show. Probably nobody. Probably nobody alive saw that show. Uh, most, if they were alive, would probably want to forget it, including Sam Margulies, who never even wrote about it, but chose to forget it ever took place. It's a sad story in the history of magic and a true story at that. But that is not the end of the story. Before I get to the final part of the Survey Leroy story, I want to bring up my blog, themagicdetective.com. The reason I'm bringing it up is this. On episode three of the podcast, I mentioned a number of things. I mentioned Marjorie the Medium's grave, Henry Ridgely Evans' grave. I mentioned Steve Baker. I mentioned a couple other things. Queen Victoria's dress. Well, over on my blog, I've put up a sort of a supplemental uh, piece about podcast number three. And basically what it does, it just shows you photos of the various things I talked about. And there are also additional links on there as well. Uh, so like, for example, Steve Baker, Steve Baker has a website and you can click the link and go to his website and read all about him. Um, I, I actually run the website. Steve passed away uh, last year, but I've, I've done his website since day one. So, um, and it's just filled with stories from his life. So that's one thing you can do. Um, that, like I said, there's a picture of, uh, Queen Victoria's dress and it's Cecilia Weiss, Houdini's mother wearing the dress. So there's a photo of that and other things. So I encourage you to check out the blog whenever you can, themagicdetective.com. Also, I want to remind you that in a couple weeks is the Yankee Gathering in, in uh, Westboro, Massachusetts. The Yankee Gathering put on by the uh, Nemka Group, which is the New England uh, uh, Magic Collectors Association. So um, I, it's a great magic history conference. Uh, I, I was supposed to be there this year, but as I've mentioned in the past, I'm unable to be there, but I want to encourage you if you're into magic history, maybe you've been to the Yankee gathering before. Um, Hey, go again. It's great. It was maybe my favorite conference I've ever attended. It was so much fun. So, and you can find out about it by going to nemca.com, which is N E M C A.com and just click the link for the Yankee gathering. So, uh, couple commercial messages there. And now let's get back to survey Leroy. Now for the latter part of the story. That sad show that ended Surveil Leroy's performing career was in 1940. He never performed again. All of his props were in storage, some in different locations. One day, Leroy went to one of the locations where his props were stored. And with an axe, destroyed everything there. Later, the props that were stored in a garage in Canisburg, New Jersey, they were taken and put on the curbside in order to be picked up and hauled off by the trash men. I don't know if any costumes survived, but I'm going to guess they probably were in there as well. The lion's cage that was such an important part of Leroy's show rusted away outside of the house. Leroy turned his back on his magic life after that terrible final performance in 1940. He did have the occasional magician who visited him, but 
It must have been difficult for him. Leroy lived another 13 years. He died in 1953. He outlived Talma and outlived most of his friends. Reading his last days reminded me of, of like when Di Vernon would talk about all the many friends he had that had passed away. If you read the Vernon Chronicles, he mentions it all the time. He just lists people after people. I mean, Vernon lived into his 90s, so gosh, it's just uh, depressing. Today, there's precious little in regards to Leroy's apparatus. Many of his posters, however, survive. That's a good thing. And his legacy lives on with uh, the Azra and other effects. But his life, his life ended in such a sad way. I, I mean, our magic history is filled with these kinds of stories. And I think even though they're sad, it's important to remember them. It, it serves as a reminder for us to cherish those among us that came before us and to celebrate the lives of those that are still with us or we're fortunate to have with us today. And it's a good idea to say thank you to those who contributed so much to the art. It's, it's nice to know you're still appreciated. And, and it's hard to say thank you when they're gone. Now, do yourself a favor. Go read the entire life story of the great Survey Leroy. I told you earlier, it's in the book, Survey Leroy, Monarch of Magic by Mike Caveney and Bill, uh, Bill Rauscher. Um, the book's out of print, but you can still find it. You go on eBay, check with uh, dennymagic.com, um, uh, look on uh, uh, some of the auctions coming up, the Potter and Potter auctions, and, and get that book and read that story. And, uh, and that, you know what, that's not the, it's not the, the whole story of Survey Leroy. It's just the end story. There were so many wonderful successes in his story, uh, his life as well, that, uh, make you feel good until you get to that part, of course. So I hope you enjoyed that. And now it's time for Houdini Radio. And this Houdini Radio, oddly enough, has something to do with Survey Leroy. It's Houdini Radio! I gotta have to have to come up with a bumper for that. Anyway, so I, I want to mention Houdini before we wrap things up. There's a book called The Houdini Code Mystery, uh, again by William Rauscher, that uh, is a fascinating book about Houdini. It includes... Um, Story after story after story of magicians who knew Houdini that, well, didn't like him very much. And it's, you know, a lot of it is jealousy and other reasons. I'm sure Houdini could be a bit of a pain, but um, there is a, a, a brief piece on Survey Leroy. Survey Leroy's opinion of Houdini. And this is all that's included. It's on page 64 of the book. And it goes like this. Houdini had one thing about him that surpassed his magic, his ego. This was the most remarkable thing about him. It bordered on the incredible. Needless to say, it was a source of wonderment and some amusement to all his acquaintances and friends, and especially to us, his brother magicians. That's what's included in the Houdini Code Mystery by William Rauscher uh, and it just makes it sound like uh, Surveyor Roy just did not care for Houdini at all. But 
I want to take this a step further. First, I want to share with you a couple of Houdini's thoughts about Survey Leroy. Here's the first one. Leroy, Talma, and Bosco will positively be the greatest magical act in the business very soon. That's Harry Houdini. Here's another quote. Talma is without a doubt the greatest sleight-of-hand performer that ever lived. Again, that's a quote by Harry Houdini. The next thing I'm about to read, these are from Survey Leroy's personal notes. And I think it gives you a better idea of what Survey Leroy really thought of Harry Houdini. He goes on to say, He had a very unusual personality, and in many respects, a most striking one. Admittedly, he was a very great showman, the greatest of his own time, and not improbably of his generation. He had many virtues, but not without faults. He was intensely human, and above all things, he was a great personal advertiser. His ability to keep his name everlasting before the public was phenomenal. In this publicity, he was greatly assisted by the very nature of his work, Magic and Escapes. The former was possibly his greatest asset, for it allowed him to keep up the illusion of unique cleverness when totally separated from his actual specialty, which consisted of escapes from bonds, cells, handcuffs, boxes, safes, straitjackets, and the like. This asset of the magician he capitalized upon on all occasions. The Society of American Magicians owes much to Houdini, and frankly, Houdini owes much to the Society. And I'm going to skip here to another part um, that just, I think, really sums up um, Survey Leroy's opinion. As a friend, he was extremely likable. His simple manner and unaffected style made a very strong appeal to our imagination. As a son and husband, he compelled our admiration. And this can be said of Houdini as an artist, a performer, and a showman. And the latter, he was without peer, unique, and incomparable. We remained the very best of friends to the last, and his very few faults were fully made up for by his many good qualities. So this, in reality, is what Survey Leroy thought of Houdini. The quote from uh, the previous book that I mentioned, The Houdini Code Mystery, I, I, I think is a bit misleading. So there's your Houdini Radio Minute, and that'll do it for this episode of the Magic Detective Podcast. I want to thank everybody for uh, listening. We've actually uh, had over 100 downloads of the podcast since we first put it up only a week and a half or two weeks ago, so that's pretty exciting. Um, also, uh, for those of you that do listen, if you could uh, like the podcast, there should be a spot somewhere to like the podcast on iTunes. You can give it five stars, or you can even write a review. I'd love that as well. Or I think on the um, magicdetectivepodcast.com, you can actually leave comments. So I'd appreciate all of that. And, uh, and if you have a negative comment, uh, don't put that down, but contact me at info at carnegiemagic.com. I'd like to hear your, uh, your two cents and what you liked or didn't like. I'd appreciate that as well. So uh, that'll do it for episode four of the Magic Detective Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Dean Carnegie. And we will talk to you soon.